This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Praise God. Yeah, we could uh, just get this moved out of the way. It's good to see you today, and I hope you survived the night. And um, we're going to get started. We are going to be uh, showing... Uh, we're going to do things in order. I had said we're going to start with uh, strong-willed children, but before we get to the strong-willed child, let's start with the dare to discipline. And uh, we're going to be showing about a half hour of Dr. Dobson's uh, presentation, then we'll show the other half hour next uh, uh, week, which is kind of appropriate as we head towards boot camp. Uh, but uh, corporal punishment is an issue. Uh, I was uh, 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 preaching in in uh, Africa uh, last week or a week and a half ago or whatever. And then uh, I went from there to uh, London for just a couple of days. And so in Africa, corporal punishment is, is the way it works. In, and in other words, discipline. Some, you know, what, what I'm, talking about, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the army, I'm talking about spanking. That's called corporal punishment. Uh, and then you go to uh, England, where they, they are part of the European Union. They're, they're deciding whether or not to remain in it. But in the European Union, they made a law against spanking. You cannot discipline your children using any kind of uh, spanking at all. It's against the law. You can get in trouble. You can have your children uh, taken away from you. A friend of mine, uh, pastors in the Netherlands, uh, several of them, and they told me about a church that is not one of our churches. It's just a Christian church. And the pastor preached a sermon about spanking children and about how he disciplines his children. Somebody there reported him, and they came to his house, and they took his children away for having just simply the preaching on it. Not only that, they went to the church and took pictures of the license plates of every vehicle and then inform the parents that we're watching you to see that if you're doing this, we're going to take your children away too. And so that's what they're doing in Europe right now. It's a, it's a, it's a real issue. Uh, uh, I, when I was in Namibia, we got onto this subject somehow. I was talking with some of the men there, and they told me a story about a, uh, an African young man who, uh, uh, from Nigeria, who was living in America. He was around 10 years old, and he did something wrong, and so his father spanked him, and, you know, this is how it works in America. The you know, kids at school talked to him, and so he told his dad, I'm going to report you to the police. And so uh, the uh, police uh, came and got involved and demanded my son, and they explained, you can't do this, this is America, and all this stuff. And so the father said, no problem. And so he moved back to Nigeria. And so his son acted up, and so they, they, they were in like a public setting, and the father said, I'm going to spank you. And so the boy ran to the police and, and so their father went over there. He told them what happened in America. And the policeman said, said, no problem, come with me. Took him to an office uh, and said, sir, 
I'm going to go ahead and lock the door, do what you have to do to your son. So anyway, this is, but my point is, is this is an issue. And so I'm very concerned because imbalanced people uh, do this and, and, and cause a lot of problems. So we'll have a, a good open discussion over the next couple of weeks about this issue and wanting to help you, particularly those of you with small children. Uh, I just want to save you some grief later in life. And we're going to go from the Bible uh, and uh, I think that uh, we'll have a very, very uh, fruitful discussion. But we'll lay a very good foundation here uh, with Dr. Dobson. So let's get that started, and we'll have time uh, for some uh, conversation afterwards. This series of eight films takes you on a journey from bringing up boys and girls to building a lifelong marriage and ultimately creating a lasting legacy for your family. We invite you to enjoy... Dare to Discipline. Hi, I'm Danae Dobson. The question I get asked the most is, what was it like growing up with Dr. James Dobson as your dad? And my answer has been that, despite my dad's notoriety, I've always just thought of him as dad. But it wasn't easy growing up with a father who instructs parents around the world on how to raise their kids. In 1978, my dad wrote a bestseller called The Strong-Willed Child. And there's been some debate between my brother and me regarding who is the inspiration for the book. But if I'm going to be really honest here, I'd have to say it was probably me. Hey, God didn't just give dad an opportunity to advise parents. He also got the privilege of putting his own strategy to good use. My dad knows kids inside and out, and my brother and I were two of them. But my dad also drew his philosophy of child-rearing straight from Scripture, where the foundation for love and discipline are spelled out clearly. So with that in mind, I'm pleased to introduce my dad, Dr. James Dobson, and his presentation on Dare to Discipline. Now, folks, what I need to do at this moment is to discuss with you what I consider to be the most common mistake that parents and teachers make in handling the strong-willed child or in handling discipline of any sort. And it has to do with using anger to motivate children instead of using action to motivate children. Anger does not motivate human beings. It won't work. It doesn't work with you. It doesn't work with me. Let's suppose when you leave here tonight, you're driving home and you're going too fast. You're going 45 in a 25. And there's a policeman standing on the corner. And he does not have a squad car. And he does not have a badge. And he doesn't have a gun. And he can't write tickets. And he doesn't have a motorcycle. And he can't chase you down. He is commissioned only to stand on the corner and scream at you as you go by. <laughs> is that going to slow you down? Of course not. You might wave at him as you went by. His anger will have nothing to do with the way you drive. You don't care if he gets mad or not. That has nothing to do with it. It does not enter into your motivational system. What does influence the way you drive? Is when you're driving 45 in a 25 and you look in the rearview mirror and you see a squad car coming toward you with 104 red lights flashing and a guy pulls you over to the curb and out steps a patrolman and he's about six foot nine 
and he's wearing leather boots and he looks so immaculate and he's got a voice like the Lone Ranger and he's got a gun on each hip and he walks up to your window and he says, sir, we had a radar unit on you back there and it showed you were going 45 into 25. May I see your driver's license, please? You see, he's not angry. He's not pounding his fist on the hood. He's not saying, why do you drive so fast? <laughs> And what do you do? He says this so calmly, and you go all to pieces. Your hands are trembling. And you're looking for that little card with a horrible Polaroid picture on it, and your sweat's on your forehead, and you're trembling and shaking. Why? He hasn't done anything. He's been polite. He's dignified. All he did was ask you for your driver's license. But you see, what he is about to do with that little leather book is notoriously unpleasant. See, it is his action that influences the way you drive, not his anger. He has lost it if he starts showing anger and hostility. It doesn't work. It assassinates his authority. That's why they teach him to be so reserved. That's why they teach him to be so dignified. He spent a long time learning that. The moment he loses that and begins to show his emotion, then his authority has begun to crumble. Why do you think they put a judge high up on a bench? with a black robe? Why does everybody stand up when he comes into the room? Why does he appear so objective? Why do you not see his emotions? Because his authority demands it. Authority demands a certain resolve, a certain confidence. And anger, I think, is the poorest motivator. It doesn't work with children and, in fact, assassinates your authority and your leadership at home. Teachers make this mistake. I heard a teacher on national television not too long ago say that she enjoys teaching. She enjoys the profession that she chose, but she hates her job on a day-by-day -day basis because she said, I have to stay angry at my kids all day to get them to do what I want them to do. You see, she's making the mistake of using anger to motivate. It doesn't work. I taught the sixth grade in 1960, and there was a teacher who taught near me who had no concept whatsoever of the principles I'm talking about here. When her class would really push her, I mean, when they had taken her too far and she'd had it, when she crossed that imaginary line, she would get up on her desk and blow a whistle at the class. <laughs> the kids loved it. <laughs> she was an overweight woman they would plot at lunchtime how they could get her up on that desk. <laughs> you can imagine how silly she looked blowing a whistle at the class. She had no action whatsoever. She only had her anger and this kind of reinforcement for the behavior that she least wanted. Anger will not motivate. Have you heard yourself saying to your kids, it's the last time I want to tell you for the last time? See, and you follow them around and you say, why don't you do right, Jack? I do declare, boy, why do you always do it the wrong way? And you say it so many times that he doesn't even hear you anymore. It's like a person who lives by a railroad track. There's a train rumbling eight feet away and he doesn't even hear it. It's shaking his house down and he's not even aware of it because anger does not motivate. Your kids don't care if you get mad. I think they rather like it. To get this big, powerful adult, you see, reduced to tears and anger and frustration is, in the conflict of wills, a triumph. That's a battle. 
So let me illustrate a better way, but first let me illustrate what typically happens in a home situation on a given evening. If you watch very closely, maybe you might see the footprints of your own family at this point. Let's call this axis down here time, okay? And a given evening begins at zero point in time by definition. That means the moment the kids come home from school, that represents zero point, and we go through the evening in that way. Let's put this ordinal axis here and call this emotion, okay? This is anger between a parent and child. And let's say for purposes of illustration that you begin at zero point in emotion with your child at that moment. You're not angry at him. He comes in the door and you greet him and you take him in the kitchen and you give him some milk and cookies and so on and you're not angry and the evening is just starting and supposedly we'll call it zero point in time and emotion. But folks, they are not at the same place at that moment. Now Johnny got up at six o'clock in the morning and he began running and jumping and climbing and tearing and pulling and pushing and uh, burning through the day. Ran off to catch the bus and ran up and down the aisles of the bus all the way to school. Climbed over things, got off the bus, ran out on the playground till the bell rung, went into school, went through all the activities of the day. At lunchtime and at break time, he was on the crash rollover bars and he played football after school. Caught the bus and ran all the way home and comes in the door and he still has loads of energy left to spare. I've never fully understood that. In fact, I resent it a great deal. <laughs> but that's the way he feels. But mother, you see, is not in the same situation. She's in a much different situation. She got up at six o'clock this morning too and fixed breakfast for the family and uh, got it all together and got the kids off to school and then cleaned it all up. And perhaps she's been chasing a couple of toddlers all day. It comes to three o'clock in the afternoon and the kids are starting to come home and mother's tired. You see, that was six o'clock in the morning, so we got seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three. She has already put in nine hours. But the hard thing about it is that she still has a long evening ahead because she's got to go to the store and get the groceries and bring it home and cook it and clean it up and get the kids in the tub and change the baby's diapers and bring the kids eight glasses of water and say the bedtime prayers and I get depressed just thinking about it. And she gets depressed thinking about it too because you see, she may have, it's three and she's got four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. She's got what, six hours, maybe seven hours of work left. And the hardest hours in the day are left before her. So mother's a little bit uptight. She greets him with a smile, but she still is just doesn't take very much to irritate her because she is already fatigued. And so Johnny comes in and he does begin to irritate her. And in the first place, he can't find anything to do. You know, right? I heard, <laughs> you know him. Can't find a thing to do. He's loaded with energy, but he can't think of a thing to do. So he's bugging everybody. He's teasing his little brother and pulling the dog's tail and then he spilled the dog's water and he's just kind of falling around with nothing to do. Most of all, he's, he's going to the toy closet and jerking out plastic stuff. You know, there's the checkers and the chess and all those stuff and it's everywhere and mother has a pretty good idea who's gonna get to clean that up. 
And so she's starting to do a lot of yelling at him, and she tells him to go to the bathroom and wash his hands because dinner's hot, and he stays gone nine minutes, and he comes back, and his hands are still dirty. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about? This happens in nearly every house, nearly every night. There is this kind of struggle that goes on, and mother is getting more and more hot about it and is doing a lot more yelling and warning, and there's a great deal of irritation between the two of them. Finally, folks, it comes to that fateful moment called bedtime. Loaded, loaded, loaded with emotion. And she tells Johnny to go get in the tub. And Johnny is not accustomed to doing anything that he doesn't want to do. And he's sitting on the floor and she says, young man, now listen to me. You got school tomorrow and I want you to get the stuff picked up and go get in the tub. Now that sounded a whole lot like it meant get the stuff picked up and go get in the tub. That didn't mean that at all. That meant start thinking about getting the stuff picked up and go get in the tub. She would fall over if he'd do it. He doesn't do things that he doesn't want to do when she says it like that because he doesn't have to. She didn't expect him to. It was not intended that he should do it yet. It was an early warning system. She waits about 10 minutes and then with deliberately greater emotion, she says, now listen, young man, I told you 10 minutes ago, you know, it still doesn't mean do it. It means we're getting closer. <laughs> See, he understands her role. She understands his role. It's analyzed. It's computerized. They go through this eight times a day. Whenever she wants him to do something he doesn't want to do. And then she gets a little more tense in about 10 minutes and she says more. And then finally, blowy, it happens. She blows up at him. And what she's saying when she has this emotional explosion, you see, she really goes all to pieces and she draws a line. And what she's saying at that moment is, young man, I am through talking to you. I am now ready to do something about it. She is saying, I am now ready to take some action. The anger says, this is anger, says, I am ready to take some action. What amazes me about children is that they know precisely where your action line is. <laughs> and well, they should, because you convey it in about a dozen ways. In the first place, you use their middle name at that time. <laughs> James Robert Bryant. And also, your speech becomes much more staccato. You know, young man, I told you. See, and your face turns red. It's a very important clue. Now, what amazes me about children is that they will take you right out to your line. Wherever you draw it, wherever you say, I've had it, that's as far as I'll go. Don't go any further or there'll be action. They'll take you right out to that point and bump it. Bump it, bump it, bump it. But they will seldom go beyond it except to find out if the action is really there. And they'll test that a time or two like Siggy did with me, you see. And he'll say, are you really tough enough? Will you accept my challenge? And if the action is there, then next time they'll stop there. And they know a lot more about this conflict than you and I do because they give their full-time effort to it and we only play the game... <laughs> when we have to, you see. 
Folks, I could give you so many illustrations of that. Shirley and I have a very good friend, in fact, the family of friends of ours, who have, I think, four of the most beautifully disciplined kids I've ever seen. I think they just happen to be compliant kids. <laughs> but they are beautifully behaved and loving kids. I flew into an airport in Denver and met them for the first time. And by the time I walked out of the airport, I was holding hands with one of them. The other one has his arms around my neck, and they're just that kind of kids. And the parents have done a great job of balancing love and control. But they get tested, too. And the father was telling me that they were in a restaurant, and the five-year-old was just suddenly bugging everybody and asking who's in charge here. It was so clear that he wanted to know. And he put his fingers in the water and splashed it in his sister's face. He was being sassy to his mother. He was just looking for ways to defy authority. And finally, the father had had it. He'd had enough. He reached the action line. He took the boy by the arm, and he marched him out of the door of the cafeteria and out into a parking lot and behind a car where he proceeded to give him the spanking he'd been begging for. There was a lady in the restaurant who watched all this happen and became very indignant. And she got up and she marched out of the restaurant and out into the parking lot and into their faces and shook her finger in the father's face and said, let that boy go. If you don't let him go, I'm going to call the police. And the five-year-old, who had been jumping up and down and crying, immediately stopped crying and looked up at his dad and says, what's wrong with that woman, dad? <laughs> Children understand. They understand that concept. It is a deliberate, almost a willful thing, a conscious thing to test you to that point. And wherever you draw the line, that's how far they'll take you. Now, folks, there is a very important concept that I need to convey, especially to the screamer who's here. And it's very easy to be a screamer. You don't have to be a bad parent to be a screamer. It's just very easy to fall into that trap of doing a lot of yelling and warning and getting very, very angry. And if you'll stay with me for just a moment, I think I can explain it, although it's very hard to put into words. If you listen to me, it's not your problem, it's mine in putting it into words. But let me see if I can express it. Because the anger occurs simultaneously with the child finally doing what you told him to do. Johnny, go get in that tub. Get in the tub, Johnny. And then you blow apart, and Johnny goes and gets in the tub. Provided the phone doesn't ring, or uh, the doorbell ring, or you lose your concentration, then he can wander back. You know, that's one of the rules of the game. But when you blow up and you finally get angry, then he does what you told him to do. Because those things happen simultaneously, there is an inclination for parents and teachers to assume that it was the anger that got him in the tub. That is an error in reasoning. It was not the anger that put him in the tub. What was it? It was the action that put him in the tub. That's what put him in the tub. You don't need the anger. You do not need anger to control children. That teacher who said I have to stay mad all the time to control my class was using anger to control. It doesn't work. Action is what controls. 
And I'll admit to you teachers who are here, if the society that you live in and the school board that you work for and the parents that you represent strip you of your ability to take action, then you're going to have no discipline because you've got to have action. You don't need anger in dealing with children. Let's go back to that situation. Little Johnny's sitting on the floor. What should you say to him? How are you going to get him in bed without anger? I think it's wise to say, Johnny, now listen to me. I want you to just put down what you're doing and just raise your head. You don't have to stop what you're doing. Just look at me. I want your eyes to be connected with my eyes. Let me see them. All right. Are you listening? What I'm about to say to you is very important. So I want you to tune in on me, okay? Listen to me now. You have 20 more minutes to do what you're doing. I know you're having fun. I don't want to stop that. I want you to come with me, and we're going to go set the buzzer on the clock for 20 minutes. You know how long 20 minutes? It means when that little hand gets up there. In 20 minutes, the buzzer is going to go off. You can do anything you want for 20 minutes. Have a ball. But Johnny, now listen to me. Are you listening? This is very important. When you hear that buzzer go off, not five minutes later, not three minutes later, not one minute later, not 10 seconds later, when it rings in your ear, I want you, are you with me? I want you to stand and head for the tub and don't come back. Now, are you with me? Now, if you have any questions, now's the time to ask them. <laughs> See, what you're doing, you see, is you're drawing the boundary lines clearly in advance, letting him know what is and what is not acceptable behavior. You have not screamed, you have not threatened, you have merely said, this I want of you. And every child needs to hear from somebody, this is what I want of you. The boundaries are established. 20 minutes, if you have not been used to dealing with Johnny in this way, the buzzer's gonna ring and he's not gonna move because that's the way he's been trained to do. He's waiting for you to get mad. I think it would be very wise now. Here you are, see, you're clear back here. You're right at the beginning. You're not angry. Well, you put it anywhere you want. You can put that line anywhere you want to. You can put it here, here, here. It does not matter. Wherever you draw it, if you're willing to take a little bit of action after it, Johnny will live within it and live there with safety. So let's back this all the way up here to this situation. You have told him what you wanted him to do, and he doesn't move. What's going to do about it? Well, you have to be willing to take a little bit of action very early in the game, which many parents are very uncomfortable doing because it seems so cold-blooded, and say to Johnny, that isn't going to work next time. Now, if you can't think of anything to do there, maybe I can suggest something to you. I have suggested in my book, Dare to Discipline, that you make use of a little muscle that lies equidistant between the neck and the shoulder, right there. It's called a trapezius muscle. And when you squeeze it, it sends little messengers up to the brain that says, avoid recurrence at all costs. <laughs> and you walk up to Johnny and you squeeze that little muscle. You ought to practice on each other. And it hurts, it does hurt. And he goes down on the ground. And you say, Johnny, listen to me now. 
I didn't get any pleasure out of that. That didn't give me any pleasure at all. I don't see any reason in the world for me to ever have to do that to you again. But listen to me, Johnny. Tomorrow night's going to be the same way. You decide. You see, I am your mother, and I have to see that you get enough rest. And if you don't get enough rest, you don't do well in school, and your eyes are red, they were red today because I let you stay up too late last night, and I love you too much to see that happen. So when I tell you, Johnny, that you have to go to bed, that means you have to go to bed. And that's not the only thing I'm going to tell you. All through your childhood, there will be things that I will tell you because I'm looking out for you, because I love you and because I care for you. And in those moments when you say, I won't do what you tell me to do, then you're going to face the consequences because that's life. And it'll be that way in your adult life too. See what you're trying to do? You're hooking behavior with consequences. I know a lot of kids who do not know behavior and consequences are linked. The parents go to school and prevent the school from taking any kind of action when the child has been blatantly defiant. The child is 16 and he wrecks the car and you pay to have it fixed. He's 17, he gets a ticket and you pay for it. All the way through, you act to break behavior and consequences. You break that and he really does not know those things are connected. And as a result, he's uh, 21 years old and he gets his first job and he goes in to work late four times in a row and he gets fired and he cannot believe it. Never in his life has behavior been connected with consequences. It's very important for him to begin to feel that those are connected. Now, I mentioned the use of the trapezius muscle. That's a physical form of punishment. Uh, we've talked too much about that tonight. I really don't believe in much physical punishment. It is appropriate on occasions, but there are all kinds of other things you can use. And besides, you don't want to use that kind of discipline when kids get a little bigger. <laughs> you can get into real trouble squeezing the trapezius muscle of high school students. In fact, folks, the general rule to follow is if you can't reach it, don't squeeze it. <laughs> I said this is not limited to physical punishment by any means. Let me give you an example. I bet you many parents here have the problem we had when our daughter was in the fifth grade. She got up in the morning, usually a little bit late. And uh, Danae is, you probably don't have this problem, Danae is super compulsive about her room. She's very proud of it, and she's got it all fixed up with all her stuff, and she will not leave in the morning until everything is in its place. Bed made perfect, all the stuff away, drawers shut. Ryan does not have that problem, I, I'd say. But Danae uh, feels that way about her room. And because of that, she'd get up late, work slowly, and then would not be ready to leave on time. And here comes the carpool group, and she's not ready. And so what's Shirley going to do? Shirley's chasing around after her and saying, Danae, it's 10 minutes to, and you haven't done it. And I was here 10 minutes ago, and how come you haven't got your shoes on? And there was just a great deal of conflict going on, and Shirley was inadvertently falling into this trap of using anger to motivate. Folks, it is the easiest thing in the world to fall into that. I still fall into it, and I know better than that, but it's still, we get irritated, and then we get reinforced in it. It's very easy to fall into that trap. This was going on, and Shirley and I sat down and talked about it and decided there had to be an easier way to get Danae up and out. 
without going through all that emotion. So we worked out a little system that worked out very well. We called it checkpoints. And we set it up with Danae so that she had to be out of bed, standing upright. <laughs> Didn't have to be awake, just had to be out of bed, standing upright at 6.30 in the morning. I did not say 6.31. I did not say 6.32. 6.33 would not count. It had to be before 6.30 on a digital clock hit 6.31. See, the more concrete the boundary, the better. 6.30. All right? And uh, if she went back to bed, she lost it. All right? 6.30. And if she was, she went into the kitchen and on the refrigerator was a little checkpoint chart with that date on it. And for checkpoint one, that's the first checkpoint, she either said yes or no. Couldn't be any more simple. Didn't have to ask for a judgment or a ruling. She either was out of that bed at 6.30 or she was not, yes or no. All right, then uh, she had uh, 40 minutes until 10 after 7 to have her room fixed the way she wanted it, have her teeth brushed and her hair combed and to be dressed and to be sitting down at the piano in the morning. Now that gave her 40 minutes. She could do all of that in 10 minutes if she wanted to. And the only way she could not have it done is to not want to have it done because it's just not that much work. So she had 40 minutes to do a 10 minute job. But at 7.10, she either was or was not finished and sitting down to play the piano. And she went into the kitchen and for the second checkpoint, she checked yes or no. That's it, yes or no. All right, it's the end of the evening and we're evaluating the morning. And we look and we see, ah, checkpoint missing. What do we do? Do we get mad and scream and throw things and threaten and demand and cry and wring our hands and stomp and pound? No. All that we do is say, Danae, if you miss one checkpoint per day, you go to bed 30 minutes early tonight. And if you miss two checkpoints, you go to bed an hour early which is a very healthy thing. If not for Danae, for Shirley and me. <laughs> you know the interesting thing? Danae loved that system. It had definite limits. She knew the target. She knew what to shoot at. And if my memory serves me right, Shirley, I think this is correct. She went four months without missing a checkpoint because she had a definite target. It just smoothed out the morning. It was no longer necessary to have that kind of struggle and that kind of fight between us. Now, you can use your creativity to find a similar kind of system which depends on action instead of anger. Testing, okay. All right, how many of you like that? This All right, we're going to uh, catch the second half uh, next week, and so... Um, Let's see here. Very, very good. But uh, how many know that was uh, another generation? <laughs> Amen. That's the way, uh, that's the way I, everybody looked in church when I got saved. And, uh, but, uh, you, know, how, you know, it's funny that if Dr. Dobson said those things today, uh, it would be on the front page of the news showing the SWAT teams uh, coming in and breaking down the door and arresting them. So, uh, uh, but tremendous wisdom and insight. Just a couple of things to get us going. Our aim in this discussion, remember what I said last week, 
If you want to see self-righteousness, talk about kids. If you want to see condemnation, talk about kids. And so, you know, um, and so we, you know, I don't want this to be uh, a discussion where, you know, parents talk about what great kids they have and everything they did right and why other people can't do it. Amen. And what we're trying to do is help uh, because raising children is a challenge. And uh, I appreciate all of you, especially with small children, making the effort to come and say, hey, I, I admit I don't know everything and I'd like to learn and, and so, you know, this video, I think, was made right around the time I got saved, sometime in the late 70s. And, uh, you know, you cannot help but think what a difference our society is. We're a long way from there. Uh, but the truths that uh, Dr. Dobson is talking about are still true. And they're very, very practical. And so uh, we, want to, we want to have uh, an effective uh, discussion, and then we'll do this again next week. And I might just throw this in. If, if you, one of your friends isn't here who they have small children, you might want to say to them, you know, it'd be a really good idea uh, for you to come. You might learn something and it'd be very helpful. So let's just talk about a couple of things. Number one is the difference between anger and action. And uh, I appreciate that he spent a lot of time explaining how anger is not an effective motivator, whether it's for a teacher or a parent. And the idea that anger will be upset, I, I, I use often the illustration of the referee or the policeman, uh, and uh, he described it as a, uh, a policeman standing on a corner who has no badge and no gun and no authority, and as you're speeding by, simply by screaming at you, he is going to, you're somehow going to stop because the guy in the corner is screaming. And what a beautiful picture of the belief that if I yell and scream, then people are going to do what I want them to do. That somehow my anger moves the needle in people's lives, including children. And it doesn't. What causes you uh, to tremble is not the emotion of the policeman, it's uh, the authority that he represents. That you know that uh, because he caught you, you're going to, uh, you're going to be, um, uh, uh, you're going to have a ticket that may cost you money, it may affect your insurance premiums, it may uh, mean uh, time you have to take off work to go to court, and all the consequences have nothing to do with their anger. It has to do with the action. And so uh, when you are raising your children, it is not about the anger. It is not about the emotion and uh, the, you know, the frustration that a child can get a parent to and you lose it. And then finally, the child uh, uh, yields to you, but you feel terrible about yourself. You feel condemned. And not only that, it basically ensures that the next time you have to rise to that same level of anger in order to get them to do something. And so it is not an effective motivator. Uh, it is the action. All right. And so what uh, Dr. Dobson was saying is that you can remove the anger to get to the action instead of it being, I swear I'm going to get you. I'm telling you. 
Johnny, on and on and on, and you, and you do these things over and over again, then finally you get so mad, and Johnny knows now you mean business, and he finally yields, but he waits to the point not where you get, it's not really that you're so mad, but you're ready to take action. So imagine you were able to motivate your son or daughter without the anger, but he knows that you're going to take the action. That's just simply that you begin to work and establish in your child that the action will be taken at this point, and he knows that, and getting them to understand that right now, if you get angry and you use anger and you get frustrated, basically the child has figured out how far he can push you until you're ready to act. That's not the anger that's motivating him. He's just judging how far he can go before you act. And then he yields to you. And so uh, it could save a lot of grief to say, okay, how can I do this so that my kids know that when I lay down the law and I say this is what we're going to do, that they know you mean it and you're going to act on it and you're not going to have to spend the emotional uh, investment in order to do that, okay? And so very, very important uh, right there. Action is what gets attention, not anger. Action is what gets attention, not anger. Okay, uh, let's open it up right here. If we have anything, Beatrice and Ebed, right there. Okay. Okay, confession here. Um, well, I grew up in a Mexican home. My mom was a screamer. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was a screamer, like, like hardcore and so all my sisters including myself I might find my actually I'm one of the lesser ones but um, the tendency is just to scream and uh, and I knew as when I grew up I hated it and so when my mom would scream and so when I got you know when I started having kids I kept telling myself I'm not going to do this I'm not gonna fall in this to this trap but I guess the longer it goes with kids and they more, you know, try you and try you. So how do you break that cycle? Because it's natural tendency because that's what you grew up with. Good question. So it's really, it's, it, it's cycle. Uh, the other thing, it's a habit, right? It's just a habit and we all have them. And so I think that uh, he does such a good job of explaining it here right now that I think a lot of parents are like, wow, I didn't see that. And I didn't understand it that way. And so, uh, like all habits that are being broken, you have to set some uh, uh, boundaries and some guidelines and some accountability to say that I, this is not how I'm going to do it uh, in order to say, okay, you know, you start by praying about it, saying, God, today I want you to help me. I'm going to make myself accountable, obviously, to your husband, and saying this is, we need to have a, I'm going to get to the issue of strategy here in a second, but I think acknowledging it be is half the battle, right? And saying, okay, this is not the way to do it. And you're right. It's, it's a funny thing that we, we're not careful. We all just reference how our parents did it, you know? And even people who aren't particularly happy with how it was done, that just becomes the way we do it. And it, it doesn't work. You know, I think sometimes we say, well, I came out pretty good. I guess it wasn't that bad. Let's all agree that if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have come out pretty good. Yeah, I have very good parents. 
Uh, I, you know, I did not grow up in a, in a, with a mother who yelled or anything like that, but I was still on my way to hell and moving very quickly in, in drugs and everything else with all the great parenting my parents had didn't make a difference. And so uh, we really do have to force ourselves to the word of God. And, you know, I, I, you know, when your kids are small, I will just tell you this. You know, you're in the moment. Yolanda and I were talking about it this morning. You're in the moment. You're worried about them. How are they going to be? What are they going to become? And, and you, you have all this in life. Um, uh, but, you know, we were just talking about when our kids were small and uh, my wife was combing my daughter's hair early in the morning before it's church. You know, just all the things that you wish you could have back, quite honestly. When you're young, you're in the moment, and so you're thinking ahead, and you can get yourself kind of worked up. And so uh, it's very, very good and very important to draw down the emotion. Have Ed? Um, I was also raised up in a Mexican family, and uh, not only words, right? <laughs> thinking not Mexicans this morning, okay. It's Mexican testimony. Um, but she threw chanclas at me. <laughs> But how my many, question, how many, wait, how many of you had John Claus thrown at you growing up? Let me see. You. <laughs> okay. My, Some I of you don't my, know what that means. That's a, like a sandal. All right. All right. Okay. Or anything else that was close. Right? <laughs> so uh, my question is, uh, when you compromise and allow the line of anger to move out further and further, because sometimes as parents, you know, we think we got more patience, but we're just actually allowing them to push that line further and further. Uh, will that cause um, an, the child to be more stubborn and, uh, and will it and, and, uh, it'll escalate their emotions to be, I guess, more emotional and more angry to the point where your authority can influence them? Will yeah. that, because you move that line further because you say you got more patience, um, how does that affect the child later on, okay. and what can you do about Very it? Very good point. Okay, a couple of things here. One thing he said is that anger assassinates authority. Okay? It delegitimizes your authority. When you lose it and get mad, that does not enhance your authority. It delegitimizes your authority because it simply means you are emotional. Okay? Your authority is derived from the power and the ability to take action. The policeman has a gun on his uh, hip, he, he's in a uniform, and everything about his uniform symbolizes authority. He mentioned when you go to court, there's a judge with a black robe who sits above you. When he walks in, you have to stand. And all of these things are sending the message, this man has authority. So he doesn't have to use emotion and histrionics to show his authority, he has that authority. The child will automatically give you the authority and recognize that because you have the power to make decisions that are going to cause him to feel consequences for whatever he's doing. But when it becomes your emotion, the signal to the child is that your emotion is what's driving this, not his conduct. Mom is mad, dad is mad, or you know what he's like when he's mad. And th that delegitimizes your authority. And so uh, it's very, very important. So what happens then when this pattern exists in, 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 a, in a young family? And so I think you have to be able to stop and say, okay, what works and what doesn't work? Is this working? Is this been an effective means to helping and bringing order and structure? 
Not only that, it also signals to the child that when uh, it's okay to lose it, it's okay to get angry because they deal with their own anger issues. And so when they see that exhibited in, in, in their parents, it kind of says, well, this is what it is. How many times you hear people say, well, you know, this is the way we are. You know, I would use a last name, but somebody here probably has that last name. You'll get offended. You know, this is, you know, the O'Grady's lose, uh, you know, the O'Grady's, you know, have a bad temper, you know. Uh, I was going to say Martinez, but uh, the Martinez will get mad. And so, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's that kind of thing where we just, and why? Because that's what we've seen. That's what. Uh, we've known, and it has an effect on us. Children will test you. See, so, so let's follow this through. Okay, so here you are. You're saying to them, um, um, okay, I'm not losing it. I'm not going to lose it, but I'm going to say, uh, John or, or uh, Flavio, this is, this is the line right here. This is what I expect you to do. You're not screaming. I swear, I warn you, I'll do this, but this is it. That child's going to want to know if it's true. If I drive 70 down, uh, down uh, Portranco, am I going to get a ticket? He is going to find out if you really mean it, and so he's going to test you. My father was in the Korean War, and his job was launching radio signals and to the north, and then monitoring where those radio signals were intercepted by radar. And this way they could see how far a radar net uh, was being used by the North Koreans and the Chinese. And so they would launch these signals, and then they would get some sort of a beep, and they would chart it so that they could figure out, you know, their strategies in, in terms of intelligence and on and on and on. And so they would launch, and then where they would see how far the net, and boom, a signal, and they say, okay, this is the boundary. This is as far as we can go without being intercepted. And so this happens with children. They want to see really where the boundary is. So if you say, this is what I expect, and then you don't follow through, well, then that's not a boundary. It has nothing to do with anger and emotion. It has to do with saying this is the line. They will test the line. They will see how far they can go. And if you do not uh, uh, take action, then it's not going to work. There has to be action. When you do that consistently, especially we're talking in the context of small children, you begin to connect the dots between behavior and consequences, okay? We've seen it. You can see a three-year-old who knows they should have done something, and when they didn't do it, and then the parent says, did you do it? Immediately, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because they immediately know I didn't pick up my toys, and there's going to be a consequence. That their behavior, that their choice, is what's triggered or activated the consequence, because a boundary has been drawn, a line has been drawn, and kids as little as two and three-year-old will already know that, okay? Now, I've seen, you know, parents go off because they're at the table and a small child knocks over a glass. And, and, and the truth is that that's called an accident. Children are not very coordinated, and uh, maybe they weren't paying attention, but I, and, and just, you know, go off and just this huge emotional outburst when in reality, those are not the things that are going to train them for the long haul. 
It's more about uh, whether it's making the bed or picking up the toy or doing the thing you need them to do and saying that. He said something very, very interesting here about instruction, using his daughter who uh, liked to make her bed and do every, have everything just right before school but was making her late. And that is the ability to sit down and to bring instruction. This is what to do, and this is how we're going to do it. I think if anything that you can take away from this morning, because if you thought, oh, this is just going to be on spanking kids, notice how he made the comment that disciplining or spanking is something that is a, a limited option, but installed when they're young, you're not going to need it when you're older. Okay? This is not uh, the Amish, you know, uh, bend over Zechariah, you know, and anything like that, okay? If it's done right, what you're really doing is instruction. So he uses his daughter, he uses the example of the little boy with the little timer that says that by this time, this is when that beeper goes off, or with the daughter at 6.30 you're up, and we're going to instruct you on how to do this. You know, the thing that really hit me most of all is the takeaway of, of a parent that says, I'm dedicating my mind to help my children succeed. That it's not about screaming and yelling and threatening as much as it is about saying, okay, Johnny's not going ready, getting ready to go to bed at the right time, or she's taking too long to get ready in the morning. Let's think of how we can approach this with a strategy that says, we're going to have to get you up earlier, or we're going to set a timer, and when that ringer goes off, that says, time to put away the toys, get ready to take a bath. And that's it. But the only way that works, if there's action that says, if you do not do this, there are going to be some sort of consequence. And the children begin to understand that. A lot of times, parents won't think that far out how to correct the behavior by maybe changing something, going back a little bit and saying, we're going to sit down and we're going to instruct them. This is how we're doing this. And then when they don't do it, take an action, but you're giving them something to work with. Okay, I'm going to open it up here. We have uh, a couple of comments here. All right, uh, Pam Glenna and then Brian, and uh, that'll be it. We're almost done. One of the things I had learned on listening to Dr. Dobson's radio show was to have a, a list where there were certain behaviors that had certain punishments. This behavior got you one spanking, one swat, you know, so there was a seriousness level and a, this one you had to stand in the corner or whatever. It helped me to be able to stay consistent by having that list. And the kids knew um, if you do this, you're, you know, this is your consequence. I suppose like writing a ticket, you know what your fine is going to be. Okay. All right. And uh, I, I saw Andy here, but he's gone. Uh, but I was going to check on that. And, uh, but he's not here. But I trust, uh, I trust it worked. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, uh, my, my uh, first marriage... Sounds like a, a relay. Okay, my first marriage, my uh, ex had uh, always undermined my authority as the father for the kids, as like this, and she always undermined the school 
authority. Sounds weird. I'm sorry. I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. She had a mind to the school authority. I always see that, you know, they're prejudiced against him because he's Hispanic, some half Mexican family that I had before. Uh, but one of these, uh, uh, but then later on, the kids got, uh, got older and it's like this. Um, all I could do is try to, of course, I, I would always pray for my kids and uh, I would try to, it's hard for me to talk over this. It's kind of hard. I'm sorry. Um, but I had to do is uh, try to, reach out to each one of these kids, but later on, you probably know, you remember that David, my, my second oldest son, had passed away, but the only thing that encouraged me was that David was the only one who would actually would pray with me and stuff. He's been in jail quite a few times, and then sometimes he had beat up by the drug dealers, and, and uh, one thing he always did was, Brian, pray for me, I'm going to die, and so he knew that there was a sincere love that I had for him, despite his uh, behavior that he had Yes. lived and it's like this and so I have a confidence in my heart that he had he yeah he'd passed away but he had that he always had that habit of always wanting to pray and ask Jesus to help him and everything okay really quick very very good point Brian let me just say this number one is that you're not helping your kid uh, to go and defend them all the time at school with authority authority brings security we don't live, we don't want a world of anarchy. That ultimate authority in a child's life is his father. And, and that brings, that makes them feel safe. People who feel safe thrive. People who feel insecure f- are frustrated. And so establishing that authority in the home will exhibit itself in the school. I know there are some bad teachers. I understand that. I believe in being an engaged parent. But when, it, when, when the idea of authority is established in a child, well, then he'll go to school and he'll respect the teachers. He'll respect the policeman. He'll respect the Sunday school teacher and the children's church worker, the pastor, because they just believe that and that makes them feel safe. Okay, next week we'll, we'll have another half hour and we'll continue the discussion. God bless you.